It is true. It's good to be home. Um, I want to just, before I forget it, tonight's service is a testimony service. If you haven't been here for one of those, we have, we invite some people to come and testify uh, how they found their spouse, how they've met the Lord, how they got into this church or whatever. So if you'd like to know more about some of your brothers and sisters in the family of God, come tonight and you can hear their story. It's one of our favorite of all the services we have here. So come tonight for the testimony service. Uh, it's, been, it's good to be home. Uh, it's good to be able to go away, too. We got to enjoy some cool weather, see some beautiful sights, spend time with my children, grandchildren, uh, eat some good food, and uh, it was a blessing. We got to go to church last Sunday with my daughter and, her, and my son-in-law, and uh, I'm always thinking, well, this is what time our church is doing this or whatever. But we were an hour behind, so I messed up on that most of the time. Uh, I will say this, confess, uh, as your pastor, in case my wife lets it slip out, I'd rather tell you myself, uh, so we'll get it straight. Uh, we, we, in, we covered a lot of ter territory, th over 3,000 miles, and uh, we were coming back through Tallahassee. I wanted to see where the old church was that some of you helped us build and everything. I wanted to see it and see where we used to live in Tallahassee and everything. And I was driving. We'd seen that and was coming on home, and there's a lot of little towns right outside on 19, and speed limit was 65, and I was going 70. Because I, I used to work for a policeman that said they'll give you about seven miles per hour on the interstate. Now, this isn't the interstate, but I, get, I was taking five. I still was in the realm of grace, I thought. Uh, <laughs> and it dipped down to 45, and I, said, I told her, I said, it's 45. And there's a little town, nothing there. So I took my foot off, and as I crested the hill, there was a policeman. And I looked in my mirror, and I saw him turn around. And I saw him come right behind me. I said, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And that blue light came on. I pulled over. He asked for my license and everything, come back. He said, you know, you topped that hill at 65. I said, yes, sir. He said, I'm just giving you a warning. I said, thank you, bless you, uh, uh, and everything. He said, that would have cost you 260 dollars I said, bless you. Thank you. Uh, anyway, got in the car, went on down the road on 19 between Perry and Cross City, going 70 again because it was 65. <laughs> Still operating under the realm of grace. And, uh, and there was a road patrolman on the other lane headed north. I'm headed south. And I looked in my mirror. About the time he passed me, I saw him turn around in the thing. And I, look, I said, I think we're fixing to get stopped again. And uh, all of a sudden, the blue light came on. <laughs> it wasn't funny at the time. But, uh, <laughs> but he didn't stop me. Somebody had passed me, and he got the car in front of me. And I said, thank you, Jesus. Uh, you know, the Bible says, lo, I'm with you always. And I felt like the Lord said, and slow, I'm with you always. <laughs> And so we're glad. Good to be home. We're safe and sound, and good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, this morning we got a young man going to speak for us, Brother Bob Scott. I don't know how old Bob is. Moses, his life, he lived to be 120, and, and his life was divided up in 40, 340 segments. First 40, and living under Pharaoh's regime there in the palace. The, la the second 40 on the backside of the desert with his father-in-law. And the last 40, he was leading the children of Israel out when he was 80. And so I don't know what Brother Bob's age is, but he's still got a lot of spit and vinegar or whatever you want to call it. And God's got a lot for him to do. And he, he blesses our heart when he comes to speak. I want to ask Brother Bob Scott if he'd come and bring us the word of God this morning. I love you. I got it. I didn't forget it. Y'all missed it. You got it? I absolutely love these two men. Pastor Wes and Pastor Keith, and uh, I have since the first time that I met them. Uh, my first visit with the church was the old church, and uh, it was about 21 years ago, something of that sort, 
and uh, I just fell in love with the church, fell in love with the people, and most of you weren't here at that time. Uh, and so we're glad to have you in the family. Uh, but I will tell you a little quick little story on, on Pastor Wes. Uh, I had taken an early retirement, and I lost about 20% of my annuity, and I was looking for a way to work part-time to earn some money. So I went to my pastor, and I said, uh, you got any ideas of what I could do to earn some money rather easily? I don't mind working. He said, yeah. He said, I've got some good idea for you. I said, well, what is it? He said, we're in, uh, he said, we're in watermelon season right now. I said, yes, sir. I'm from South Carolina. I like watermelon. He said, I don't mean to eat. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you can buy some watermelon right now, two for a dollar. And we can put them on a truck and take them up to Virginia, where I had just come from, take them up there and sell those things and make a killing. I said, well, you willing to help me? Sure, I'll help you. So we go out there to patch and we buy a watermelon, two for a dollar. And he had an old pickup truck. I didn't have one. He had an old pickup truck. We put him in the back of that truck, filled it up, went up to Richmond, Virginia, where I had just moved from. So you can see he's already grinning about this. He, already, he knows what's coming. We went back up to Richmond and pulled over on the side and got us a sign that said, Watermelon, 50 cents apiece. <laughs> That's what I said, honey. Who said that over there? <laughs> 50 cents apiece. Well, we sold those watermelons in record time. Came back down here, and I said, Pastor, that was great. We sold those things in record time. He said, yeah, but if you're going to make any money, we've got to get a bigger truck. <laughs> That's almost the truth. I've got to get on because the time will slip away, and uh, I have no idea why God put this message on my heart. Uh, I was studying over the last few months, and I kept reading over and over again Revelation. Why? Because there's a blessing when you read it. And secondly, it informs us of where we are and uh, where we're going. Uh, and so I, I, I really don't know. Uh, uh, I, I entitled this thing, Keep Your Fork, The Best Is Yet to Come. And i tell you where it came from. The world's going crazy. How many of you agree with that? I'm, not, I'm just going to share my heart with you. I don't even know if this is a preaching or teaching. I'm an old teacher and professor, and I love to teach. Uh, I don't know where that, but I do know this is something I want to share with you. It's so messed up. And uh, I spent a lot of time on the phone encouraging my own family. Uh, I, I told my granddaughter and I said, I think the reason I'll be 80 years old next year, so don't forget my birthday. I said, I don't know why I'm still here, but I think it's to encourage you and to be a blessing to you and to help you and to be some security to you. It's a scary world. And uh, so that's kind of what was going on in my life uh, when, when I was preparing. And, and I thought, what I want to do what I want to do is to encourage you and to inspire you and to strengthen your hope. We've got a wonderful thing waiting for us, and we need to keep focused on that. Amen? And so with that, uh, I got kudos to my pastors. I always want to do that. The Bible says to render honor to whom honor is due. And if anybody's deserving of honor, it's those two men. What a job they have to take care of us. Our, Luke 2 and 52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Did you understand that? Jesus increased in, in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. That's all four aspects of a human being. And Jesus increased in wisdom, that's the intellect. And stature, that's the physical. And in favor with God, that's the spiritual. And with man, that's the social. Everybody, somebody say amen. amen. So you know what their jobs are? to strengthen all four of those areas. That, that, that's just unheard of, that anybody would agree to take on that responsibility, and yet they have. And so I've got to give them kudos. Uh, next 
a week from uh, next Saturday is Veterans Day. Most of you know I'm an old veteran. Uh, I love being an old veteran. I love being old, and I love being a veteran. <laughs> Uh, but I'd like to, uh, I don't know what we'll do next weekend and what all's going to happen, but since I'm at the pulpit right now, I just wanted us to honor our veterans. So if you will join me, I would be honored if you'd stand with me if you are a veteran right now. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. And I, I, I have the honor of every Tuesday morning, if the Lord willing, I meet with breakfast with a group of old veterans. And we get together and we just have the best time. We try to solve all the world's problems because it's a mess and we think we can straighten it out. Uh, we tell old, old war stories and uh, we try to see who can outlie each other. No, I, no, I didn't mean that part. No, uh, but you get a bunch of old veterans together, and you're liable to hear anything. And I'm, I just cherish that. And some of them are in this uh, in, in the audience here today. Thank you. A couple came because they heard that I was speaking. They just wanted to see what they would have to talk about Tuesday. Um, let me see if there's anything else. I've got my notes right here so I can't get lost. Uh, what, do you, what do you need those for? Well, I'll be 80 years old next year. <laughs> That's exactly. Can't remember anything. I want to take us on a journey. I want to take us on a journey of this earth and life on this earth. I want to begin at the very beginning, and I want to take it as best I can to the end as we know it. So if we could do that, and Logan... Thank you so much. He's worked diligently all morning to try to get something on the screen that you can see and maybe follow as I'm sharing with you. Uh, I want to begin with Genesis, the first chapter and the 29 verse. Let's get that with me, if you will. This is a Bible search, so y'all can get with me. Okay. Genesis 1, 29 through Genesis 2, verses 1 and 9. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, in the which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be as what? Meat. The trees will be as meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for what? And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Somebody say very good. It was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. It's just about over. I love this next verse. If you have a pen, you need to underline this in your Bible. It's, it's Genesis 2, and the very, it follows that last one. And God saw everything was good and very good on the sixth day. But look what he says then on the very next verse. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Somebody say finished. And all the lost of them, host of them, all the host of them. Uh, I, I just wanted to let you know that that right there flies in the face of evolution. That, that's one of the biggest lies that you can probably get from academia is the notion that this all evolved and rather than being created like that by God just speaking. Uh, of that, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And then verse 9, let me come down. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Somebody say amen. I want to just give you a couple of thoughts that come from this passage. First of all, the tree of life was there 
aren't you glad the tree of life is there in Eden? And I've got good news for you. You'll see it again in the future. The tree of life. You know what it's for? To enhance and sustain physical life. You and I have, are here physically and we are alive and our strength is there. And in the, in the Garden of Eden, that tree sustained them and gave them physical life. That's the tree of life. What else is in that garden? I love to look at this. The tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. Genesis 2 and 9. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This was the test of obedience. There was no other test in the garden. The garden was theirs to enjoy, to tend to, to work, to enjoy. Uh, but the only test, and they could eat of all of the fruit, all of the trees, all, as we just read, the herbs and so forth. They could eat all of that. The one thing they couldn't eat, they didn't eat meat. The other thing they couldn't eat was they couldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was their test of obedience. What does God say about obedience? Who's that? Say it again. Behold, obedience is better than sacrifice. Does God require sacrifice from us? Absolutely. He's always required a sacrifice. I mean, what do you think the Old Testament saints were doing when they went into the temple or went to the tabernacle? They would bring a sacrifice, a gift to God, if you will. Does God need that gift? No, but he honors it because you're giving it out of your heart and out of your blessing. You are blessing him. And so there was one test of obedience. God said, you can have everything else, but this one thing don't mess with the knowledge of the good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What did Adam and Eve do? I'm still wondering how in the world could they possibly be enticed by that when they had everything else that they could want. Life was complete. Everything that you could possibly want they had yet they were still attracted to this. Of course, there was somebody helping him to become attractive. Uh, who was that? Satan, Satan appeared there. Uh, by the way, in that same passage of Scripture, all other trees and herbs were there for food. They were good for food. Here's another point that came out of that passage. Man and animals were all herbivorous. What does that mean? They ate vegetables. I don't know if I'll make it or not, Pastor. <laughs> I love fried grouper. There's no doubt about that. And I, don't, I, I like a good old greasy pork chop. And, uh, you know, God knows. Uh, man and animals were all her, herbivorous. They had some exotic animals. I, I, I just this morning, I was studying a little bit at the house there. And I went and wrote down, I didn't have a chance to type it, I went and wrote down uh, the description of a few exotic animals that Adam and Eve had in their lives. Now remember, this is before the fall. So these were their pets. There was no carnivorous animal. They were all herbivorous. So they were their pets. They could play with them. They could pet them. We just got back from visiting the uh, Creation Museum and the Ark out in Kentucky. And they have a, a, a rendition of a child petting a dinosaur. And it's as factual as you could possibly be because children were able to, and you're going to hear that again in a few minutes, children were able to play with those animals that today we would consider wild and, and carnivorous and evil and all that. They weren't that way. When God created, it was good. Yeah, perfect's even better. So, uh, Here's one of them, Behemoth. This is in Job, the 40th chapter. Uh, he was, you can tell when you read that Job, that uh, 40th chapter there, that he existed when man existed. This is not prehistoric. This is in the last 6,000 years, uh, he, the Behemoth existed, and I believe he existed up until the flood. His tail was like a cedar tree. He was herbivorous. His bones were like iron. He had the snares of trappers didn't bother him. He could go right through him. Behemoth was huge. The next animal that was described there in Job was Leviathan. 
And the Bible describes him as having terrible teeth in verse 14. He had scales that couldn't be parted. You couldn't pull them apart. Smoke came from his mouth like from a cauldron, the Bible says. And he had fire that would leap out. And everybody feared him when he rises. Another animal it describes was a dragon. I noticed when we were out at the Creation Museum, every culture in history has had record of a dragon in their lives. Every one. It seemed that that was one animal that God made a lot of them before the fall and that they existed all over the world. Another animal that's in the scripture, in, in the scripture there that we don't think about is a unicorn. We think of them being cute, don't we? They weren't cute. They had, the Bible says, great strength, and they were dangerous to be around. Uh, so anyway, that's to let you know that sure enough, these exotic animals were in the Garden of Eden. Another thing that came out in that scripture we read about the garden was work. My, my granddaddy used to say that work was made for a mule, and he had to back up to it. I kind of go along with that. I just, but God said that what work is what? Good. God said that work is good. So in the garden, you would think now this is, this, this is paradise. But in the garden, God required them to work. Look for that in the future. We will not be floating around on clouds playing harps. We're going to be busy doing what God would like for us to do. And so here it is. Uh, uh, we work was addressed in that scripture and he, the first thing he told him was to dress and keep the garden. All you gardeners, you're going to love that. For me, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got a brown thumb, not a green thumb. Uh, but it's good for us to work. The second thing he gave him assignment was to name all the animals. Did you know that Adam named all of the animals? He could have been there a while, couldn't he? Just think about that for a moment. Uh, heavens and the earth were finished. We read in chapter 2, verse 1, it was all complete. I, I just love that. I like the idea that things are complete. And so uh, now, uh, let me, that brings me to this right here. Everything was fine until man sinned. Somebody said Satan made them sin. No. He tempted them. They sinned, and you sinned out of your own choice. And when we stand before God, we can't blame anybody else. He's going to hold us responsible solely for our own sins and for our getting right with God so we don't have to be judged for those sins. Isn't it great that we can be judged for the sins now by Christ's blood and not have to face it in judgment? Not have to face it in eternity? It's over? What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore, God will say to us. Anyway, I don't know if you can take that or not. Uh, that moves us quickly to the tribulation revival, I called it. So what, never heard it called a revival before, but if you look and read the scriptures, you're going to see that during the tribulation period, how long was the tribulation period, or how long is it going to be? Seven years, uh -huh. Daniel's week. And, and if you, if you look at that, uh, you'll see that revival is going on. It looks like the devil's having his way. But look at the revival that's going on. God himself sends almost immediately when tribulation starts. He sends two witnesses. Who are they? Enoch and who else? Elijah. Some say Moses, but I believe what you just said. I think it was Elijah and Enoch. Why would I believe that? They've never died, and it's appointed unto man once to die. So I believe it's them. It doesn't matter to us, does it? They're both, whoever it is, they're prophets of God. That's one of the things we know about them in reading Revelation, the 11th chapter. These two witnesses are prophets of God. They never died. And they appear early in tribulation. What do they do? What are they doing here? What is Enoch and Elijah doing back here? Witness of God in all the earth. God is something else. Tribulation is hitting the earth. And what does God do? Send two supernatural witnesses. 
God loves mankind. Help me quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But what? For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send his son in here to put me down. Or you? Did he? For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the what? That the world through him, what? How many of you love him? Let me see it real high. Be proud of it. Thank you, Lord. So God sent these two witnesses. And they go throughout all the earth. Their emphasis, though, you go, where's where's my friend? I don't see him back there. But you're going to like this. They minister through all the earth, but their emphasis is on Israel. Aren't you glad about that? Israel is having a rough time. During tribulation period, it's going to get rougher. They're going to lose about two-thirds of their population, but one-third is going to survive and thrive and go into being where Jesus will himself rule over them in the millennial reign. The Jews are going to be helping to run the earth. Isn't that great? And I'm proud of the fact that you and I stand for them and we help them as much as we can, give money to their cause. And so uh, uh, anyway mostly to Israel. They minister for three and a half years. The Antichrist is on the scene, and he tries to hurt them, but he can't hurt them. He can't kill them. He can't harm them. No harm comes to them for that three and a half years. God has a protection around them, a seal, if you will, and nothing can harm them. Then God removes that, and they're killed and allowed to lay in the street for three days. They lay there, those corpses, and you know the Antichrist and his hordes and the followers and Satan think, I've got it now. I've got it. We've put this to quiet, and we can get on back to our business again. I've got it made. And at three days, guess what happened? They arise from the dead. Isn't that wonderful? Okay. Uh, the three and a half years they're here, they're associated with building the temple, rebuilding the temple. God allowed the death and then three days publicly resurrected. That's the two witnesses that you find in Revelation, the 11th chapter. Previous to that, Revelation, the 7th chapter, God seals, pulls aside and seals 144,000 virgin young Israeli Jews, young men. Now, what did he do for them? He seals them for protection. So just like the witnesses, they're out here ministering against the Antichrist and against his horde. Aren't you glad that God loves mankind enough that he'll even minister through tribulation? That's the kind of God that you and I serve. And so uh, he has them pulled aside. He seals them for protection. So what are they going to do this this time they're in, in, in the tribulation? Witnessing of and for God all over the world. The 144,000 witnesses. Can you say praise the Lord? And that's the tribulation revival. I didn't want to talk about how evil it's going to be. I didn't want to talk about because I don't think any of us are going to be here. Do you? I wanted to talk about the revival that's going on. That's the God that we serve. He's always looking to save and to to bring to him, and I wanted us to talk about that today. So after, the, after that, uh, the Armageddon appears at the end of the tribulation period. It's led by the Antichrist with earthly kings and leaders to attack Israel. Boy, they hate Israel. What does God think about Israel? What did he say about Israel and Jerusalem to what? Pray for them. Absolutely, absolutely. That's what God loves. And why does he love them so much? Oh, I love this. Our God is amazing. Why does he love Israel so much? Because, because of Abraham. 
Abraham found faith in the eyes of the Lord. And Abraham and, and God got close and God made a covenant with Abraham that he said would be for everlasting. And here it is a few thousand years later. Here it is, that covenant to Abraham. God honors what he says. And so he made that commitment to Abraham and here he is blessing Israel 4,000 years later. Isn't he a marvelous God you serve? Praise the Lord. So the Antichrist, the kings, the leaders to come to attack Israel. It's at the end of the tribulation period. Guess what happened? Second coming. What's the second coming? Jesus coming back. He came the first time at Calvary, but he's coming back, the second coming, to lead us into the fight of the Antichrist. Satan and the false prophet and their hordes. Second coming, Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Do we have it up there? Yes, Logan, I love you. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, what does it say? He doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and upon his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called what? Who is that? It's Jesus, our Jesus, coming back to be with us at the end of tribulation. He returns with his saints. Notice what he does when you read Revelation at home on the 19th and 11th through 16th. He defeats the Antichrist. He defeats Satan. He defeats the false prophet. And then in Revelation 19.20, the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. Somebody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The people who have been trying to kill you, kill your family, these are the kind of, the Antichrist and the false prophet are the epitome of evil. It reminds me of Hamas. Am I allowed to say that? That's exactly what I thought about when I was writing up this sermon right here. The very thing I thought about is we have a type of antichrist and a type of false prophet full of evil in Hamas. And we need to pray. We need to pray especially for Israel. Then Satan himself, I love what, what God does here. This is Revelation of the 20th chapter. Satan is bound He's sealed and put in a bottomless pit. I love it. And you know what? I believe you and I will get a chance to be on the front seat watching it. As he's sealed and bound and put in a bottomless pit where he'll stay for how long? 1,000 years. Yes. And that will bring us to the millennial reign. You can tell I'm trying to hurry. So as Dick Burkhart would say, you can beat the Baptist to the restaurant. The millennial reign. Ezekiel, the 34th chapter, 23 and 25. Wow. What does it tell us? This is Ezekiel 34, 23 through 25. Okay, look here. Help me read it. And I will set up one shepherd over them. He's talking about Israel. And he shall feed them, even my servant David. Who? He shall lead them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, who? Will be there. That's talking about David and all of his followers. And I will be their God and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will cause the evil beasts to cease out of the land, and they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the wood. This is talking about the millennial. It can't be talking about the times past because David's been gone a long time. It's talking about the millennial. He says, I'm going to rule. He's going to rule as regent and king over Israel from Jerusalem during the millennial reign. Oh, don't you want to see that? You get to see that. But guess what's even better than that? 
Christ himself is setting up his throne on earth and he'll rule from the temple in Jerusalem during the millennial reign. So here we got it. We've got the earth. We've got the, Jesus as the ruler over all the earth, the very thing that Satan's been wanting to do for 6,000 years. Jesus is doing it. It's his, isn't it? So there he is. And, and who was it that was called the man after my own heart? And here's David appointed king of Israel. So he's under the king of the earth, Jesus, but he's the king of Israel. And the scripture goes on to say that you and I, there's room for us. We are kings and princesses and princes. Isn't that great? I missed y'all. Okay. I don't know, see, but I kind of get, I'm, I'm a, from a sharecropper farm in rural South Carolina. I can kind of fall in love with the notion of being a prince. Some of you look so good, you don't have anything to look forward to. <laughs> but see, me, I look forward to this millennial reign. Oh, my goodness, I look forward to it. Oh, my let me go on here. David will rule as regent. Christ will rule the earth. Saints are kings and priests. That's Revelation 1 and 6. Under Jesus' rule. Look here. There's total peace. No war. That's what Michael says in the fourth chapter. Total peace. No war anywhere on the earth. Not to be found for the whole thousand years. None whatsoever. How many combat veterans do I have in this room? There's three or four of us. I'm one of them. I didn't volunteer to do it. They just made me do it. Gotcha. And we look like it, don't we? <laughs> okay. Total peace, no war. And now... Isaiah, the 11th chapter, says all the animals in the millennial reign are herbivorous. Does that sound familiar? Where else did we say tonight, today, rather, that they were all herbivorous? Garden of Eden. I was going to entitle this from Paradise Lost to Paradise Regained. But I, my wife inspired me with another topic. You'll see it very end. I'm almost through. Somebody say good. I didn't mean it. Because uh, I know you're enjoying this. This is your future. This is what you're geared for. This is what you're born for. Kings and princesses and priests and, oh my goodness, no war, no, all peace, no carnivorous animals, no, the curse on earth is lifted. It, it doesn't say it, it could, but you use your own imagination. That, that means I don't even think there'll be briars in, in heaven. I don't even think there'll be briars on a rose bush. I think you just see the rose bush by itself and the roses by themselves. I, I, you can believe what you want. That's what I believe. Why? Because it says here, the curse on earth is lifted. That's in Genesis 3, the 13, 3 and 13. Here's something else we would like. Where's Gordon? Where's Gordon Bannon? You don't have to get up because you're too old to get up. <laughs> yeah. And in the millennial reign, look here. Our average age, he just turned he just turned ninety. That's why I'm picking on him. We celebrated his birthday just a couple of weeks ago. And, and he's a proud veteran. I can pick on him all day along with that. But look here, Gordon. The average age during the millennial reign is the infants will live to be 100. That's what it says in Isaiah, the 65th chapter. Infants are going to live to be 100. Y'all not getting this. The millennial reign. And look at this. There's going to be no weeping from grief. The weeping will be for joy. None for grief. There won't be any grief in the millennial. What would you grieve about? Everything's perfect. And Billy sang the song for this sermon, and he didn't know it, and I didn't know it. It was perfect for it, wasn't it? Because I'm thinking of people 
that wait for me now. And when Jesus comes back, that second coming we just talked about a minute ago, he's bringing all the saints with him. And the rapture takes place. And those that have already been raptured come back with him. The rapture takes place. We get to go be with him. And, and you know what I know. I've got loved ones in that group. And I'll miss them. Excuse the tears. But when I think about them, I miss them. And I want to hold them. I get to do it. No more tears from grief. We'll never do it again. And what a reunion we will have. I, I love you dearly. And I was talking to my wife before the service. Because a lot of you came by to wish me well and tell you were praying for me. And, and don't think I don't appreciate that more than you can tell. And when it was just the two of us, I pointed at y'all and I said, I love these people. She said, and they love you. And uh, that's a special life, isn't it? Okay, I'm almost through. No weeping from grief, but look at this. He's put it up here. During the millennial reign, Isaiah the 11th chapter, listen to this. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. Now, this is in the millennium. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. What does the wolf do with the lamb now? The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. What does the leopard do with the goat now? The calf and the young lion and the fatling are together. And a little child shall lead them. Oh, not long ago I was asked when I was teaching about heaven, right here preaching for Pastor Wes about heaven, a little girl came up to me afterwards and uh, asked me about her puppy in heaven and so forth. Somebody else asked me what about children in heaven and babies in heaven. And, you know, we gave them scriptures. The Bible doesn't say specifically what happens to them, but we have scriptures that get, lead us to believe great things happen to them. Jesus said to the disciples, when the disciples were telling the children to move away, he says, suffer the little children to come to me. Isn't that right? He said, of such is the what? The kingdom of heaven, yeah. Probably the best scripture I can think of is when David lost his little boy. And, and the, he, after the little boy died, he put off the sackcloth and he asked for raiment and for food. And they got on him. Well, why, are you re, why are you festival now that your child is born? And here David said this. He said, he's gone. I can't bring him back but I will go to him. Isn't that beautiful? And so that's what this is saying here. Uh, that this is another scripture that tells us children are going to be in heaven. Because this, this is what Isaiah says. The, the nursing child shall play... Wait a minute. The, oh, no, okay, let me go back. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child, infant, shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy God's kingdom, for the earth shall be full of what? The knowledge of the Lord as the waters over the sea. Somebody say praise the Lord. That's our future. That's it. Some of you have lost babies recently. There they are. Waiting for you. You'll be, re and I believe, you can disagree, but you can be wrong. <laughs> I believe you get a chance to raise your baby in the millennium. Believe it the other way if you want to. That maybe you can believe that they're already grown when you get there. That's okay. I told you you could be wrong. <laughs> Satan's final episode to overthrow God. Satan is released from the bottomless pit after the thousand years in the pit. That's Revelation, the 20th chapter. He I'm hurrying. I'm almost through now. He deceives the nations. Satan 
deceive the nations. The followers that he gets number as grains of sand in the sea. That's how many followers Satan gets after he's released from the bottomless pit. After a thousand years. After a thousand years of millennial reign of, uh, under Jesus and under David and under priests and princesses like you, after that, Satan is released and he's able to get people to follow him. I can't understand this, Pastor. This is above my theology. I have no answer for this. How can it possibly be? If you've lived under God's rule and the perfection in a per perfect world, how could you possibly be attracted to something that Satan offers? Somebody say, oh me. It's unbelievable. After a thousand years of heaven on earth, how can it be? And here I wrote this. I don't have an answer. That's what I wrote down. I don't have an answer, but I have a guess. I think the, my guess is what attracted them is the drive toward autonomy. Why do I say that? Autonomy means to be self-governed, to be independent, to have no accountability to others, such as Satan rebelled against God. What did he want to do? He wanted to be God. He didn't want to be subject, subject to God. He wanted to be God. What did Adam and Eve do? What, what was it Satan told them? You won't die. You will be like God. And that grabbed their ears. How about you and me? What if he's offering that to you and me today? And he said, you won't die, you'll be as God. I don't know. I personally think that's what it is, that nobody wants to be accountable to others. I'm just going to be honest with you. God's not a toy. And uh, you're either going to obey him or you're going to suffer. He's going he's to reward his children that obey him. He's going to punish those children that don't. The choice is yours and mine. Okay, Job said in the 19th chapter, and I'm through with this, he said, I know my Redeemer lives and shall stand upon the earth. And I put in a busy exclamation mark, we win. Your fork. There was a young woman She'd been diagnosed with a terminal illness. She'd been given just two or three months to live. So as she was getting her things in order, she contacted her pastor, just as I would do. I'd contact my, I have, when we've been through Jeff's door. She contacted her pastor and had him to come to her home to discuss certain aspects of her final wishes. She told him which songs she wanted sung at the service, what scriptures she'd like to have read, she even told him what outfit she wanted to be buried in. Everything was in order, and the pastor was preparing to leave when the young woman suddenly remembered something very important to her. There's one more thing, she said excitedly. What's that, came the pastor's reply. This is very important, the young woman continued. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. The pastor stood looking at the young woman, not knowing quite what to say. That surprises you, doesn't it, she said to her pastor. And he said, well, to be honest, I'm puzzled by the request. The young woman explained, in all my years of attending socials and dinners, I always remember that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork. Turn to your neighbor and say, keep your fork. She went on to say, it was my favorite part of the dinner because I knew that something better was coming. <laughs> something wonderful and with substance. And you and I both know that that's something wonderful. 
is the returning of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to be with him. Would you stand with me? Reach over and get your neighbor's hand. And, I, and let's pray for each other. Father, words fail me. I am humbled and honored to be part of this group. I know you love them. They're such sweet, giving people. I pray blessings on them. Mostly, I pray that you will save their family members and loved ones who are not in your kingdom. Nothing grabs our heart more and nothing breaks your heart more than for your children to be away. Help us. Help us to love the lost, especially our family and friends. Help us to be your light. Help us to be patient and gentle and sweet, just like you are to us, Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we honor you. And we'll keep our forks. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And here's how I would end this. You can stick a fork in me. I think I'm, because <laughs> I think I'm done. Make sure you come back tonight. Thank Bob for once again reminding us what a great future we have. Futures as bright as the promises of God. Praise the Lord. God bless you.